Well, last week we started a new series, a new preaching series uh, in the book of Revelation. And last week we were looking at Revelation chapter 1 and seeing there that the writer there, John, gave us a vision of Jesus, more glorious, more majestic, more powerful than perhaps we'd realized. And now over these next few weeks, uh, this Jesus, this amazing Jesus, uh, gives some messages to his church And we're going to hear the first of those messages from God's word now, from Revelation chapter 2, as Ruth comes to read to us. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is the paradise of God. For those of you who've not met me before, my name is John Percival. Uh, I'm the uh, pastor here at uh, Eden, and it's my great privilege to be able to speak to you this morning uh, from God's Word. And as Steve has already mentioned, we'll be looking at the passage of Scripture that was read for us earlier on, which is Revelation chapter 2 and verse 1 to 7. So then, um, some of you may have come across the idea of the mystery worshipper. You can see a mystery worshipper there on the screen. If you've not, then the mystery worshippers were a group of volunteers who would uh, visit churches and then publish their reviews on their website. Um, This is... um, faded a bit with the popularity of things like Google reviews, uh, with that sort of uh, rising. But uh, here are some of the questions that these mystery worshippers used to ask. What was the name of the church? How full was the building? Did anyone welcome you personally? Was your seat comfortable? (laughs) What musical instruments were played? How long was the sermon? On a scale of one to ten, how good was the preacher? How would you describe the coffee? And did the service make you glad to be a Christian? And uh, lots and lots of other ones too. And uh, just to say that if any of you have any feedback on any of these things here at Eden, then Steve and Graham will be... At the door on the way out, and they will be uh, really pleased uh, to speak with you, I'm sure. And of course, um, these are very good questions to ask. 
But then what if we changed things round a little bit and mixed things up? Rather than a mystery worshipper reviewing the church, what if it was the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who is the Lord of the church and ascended in glory? And what if, what if it wasn't just some uh, random church that was being reviewed, but it was actually us here at Eden? What then? I wonder what questions Jesus would want to ask uh, us. Uh, what would be important to him? Uh, what questions would he ask? What would Jesus want to say to us uh, here at Eden, I wonder? Well, uh, all of those are questions that we will be considering over the, the next few weeks as we come to look at uh, what does Jesus want for his church from Revelation chapter 2 and 3. And of course, we don't have to guess, actually, what Jesus wants for his church, because here in the book of Revelation, we have seven letters which tell us exactly what Jesus really did say to seven real churches about what was important to him. Uh, All of these churches are in the Roman province of Asia. Uh, You can see a list of them there on the screen. And as we saw, uh, if you were here last week, Jesus gave his messages to the Apostle John, who wrote these messages down and then sent them around in the book of uh, Revelation as a sort of a circular uh, letter around all the churches. Uh, Each letter basically follows roughly the same format. Uh, There is a description of some aspect of uh, Jesus' person and character from the great uh, picture of Jesus that we looked at last week. Then Jesus usually has some words of uh, either commendation or criticism or both uh, for the church. And then there's usually a call to action. And then uh, lastly, a promise for those who heed and are obedient uh, to what Jesus has to say. And this morning we come to look at the very first church there on the list, uh, which is the church at Ephesus. Uh, Ephesus was first geographically, of course, as a messenger would have gone round these churches, but it was also actually the first in terms of importance and influence as well uh, in terms of that region. So then, I'd like us to look at three aspects of the review which Jesus gives the church at Ephesus that I think we can hopefully learn from this morning as well. And the uh, first of them is a zeal for truth. So there in verse 1, we read that Jesus holds the seven stars in his right hand. Uh, We saw last week that these uh, seven stars are the seven angels or the seven heavenly representatives of the seven churches. And then we're told that Jesus walks among the seven golden lampstands. Each uh, lampstand uh, represents one of the churches. This really reminds us that Jesus is with his church. Uh, He is... um, Among it, he inspects it, he cares for it, including correcting it where necessary. Then in uh, verse 2 and 3, Jesus goes on to commend the church. And uh, first of all, we see that Jesus commends their deeds. So there in verse 2, Jesus says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. And then a little bit later on there in verse 3, you have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. And so here was a church that worked really hard. Um, Jesus says that you've done many good deeds and you have persevered through hardship. We can maybe think of uh, the, the, the church at Ephesus was a church that really cared for the poor perhaps. They visited the sick, 
They brought meals to new mums. The elderly felt cared for. The Bible was taught. Uh, People were helped to think through the relevance of Jesus to their workplace and uh, many, many other things too. And they'd actually kept on doing these things even in the face of external pressure. The temple of Artemis of the Ephesians and the cult of the Roman emperors absolutely dominated ancient Ephesus. Uh, The culture was stacked against them. But yet Jesus says that they had persevered and had not grown weary. And then we also see that uh, Jesus commends them for their discernment. And so right in the middle of verse 2, Jesus says, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. See, one of the great concerns in the early church was that of false teaching. And so we can easily imagine a scenario where a group of people come in, they claim to be apostles, they claim that they are the genuine representatives of Jesus, but yet there's just something that is not quite right about them. And so the church tests them. Uh, They probably listened carefully to their teaching, to what they had to say. Uh, They must have weighed it up, presumably by comparing it to what had been taught by Paul or maybe one of the other apostles who had spent time with them. Uh, And they found that they were false. They were teaching things about Jesus and the Christian life that just weren't true. Later on there in verse 6, it seems that Jesus mentions one group of them in particular, uh, this group called the Nicolaitans, uh, who seem to have been advocating some kind of wrong thinking and uh, wrong living for Christians. Uh, And we'll come back to the... uh, Nicolaitans and uh, who they were uh, in in a couple of weeks. But uh, hopefully you can see that uh, Jesus commends the Ephesian church. seems as if the Ephesian church had taken on board what the Apostle Paul had um, said to them many years previously. So in uh, Acts chapter 20 and verse 29 to 31, Paul met with the Ephesian elders and he said to them, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. So it actually seems as if the Ephesians have done really, really well. Over 30 years later, Jesus commends them. And he says, well done, well done. You have remained committed to me. You have tested those who claim to be apostles and have found them false. And it really does strike me this morning that there is an encouragement here for us. Uh, Eden is a church, surely, that works really hard. You have uh, um, survived an interregnum, uh, after all. Uh, Maybe some of you feel weary, maybe some of you here feel at full stretch in God's work, but yet you have persevered and you have kept going. And uh, we see here that this is something that Jesus really commends. And then again, uh, Eden is surely a church that cares about doctrine. Uh, It's not always easy to stand up for truth in Cambridge, but yet Eden is a church that tests things, uh, that searches the scriptures, it weighs things up. You don't just accept the preacher's word for it, but you ask questions. And again, we can see here that uh, all this is something that Jesus really commends. I hope you find it encouraging this morning 
that Jesus commends his church. I think it's very easy for us to think that uh, Jesus is inspecting his church and he's uh, on the lookout for only for something to improve on. But notice here that Jesus starts by commending his people for things that they are doing well. Uh, we'll see in a couple of moments that there's one thing that they do need to be working on. But uh, notice that Jesus starts by commending his people. Um, maybe for some of you here this morning, you need to hear Jesus' commendation to you. Maybe you've been uh, working hard here at Eden. Maybe you've been working hard uh, during one of the recent events weeks. Uh, maybe some false teaching has been trying to pull you in, but yet you have stood firm. Well, I pray this morning that you would know the deep, deep encouragement and the deep well done of the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. And so we see here a zeal for truth, but then we need to move on because uh, Jesus also warns the church about one thing that they lack, a lack of love. You can see this there in verse 4. So there's many great things uh, which are going on in the Ephesian church, but yet Jesus has one criticism to make. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken, he says, the love you had at first. I guess this immediately raises the question for us, uh, what kind of love is Jesus talking about here? Um, and so this could, of course, be talking about love for those who aren't yet Christians. Uh, we can easily see maybe how the church had become so concerned with uh, rooting out false teaching that it starts to take its eyes off its mission to the world. It uh, maybe starts to lose um, some of its love um, for those who aren't Christians. Well, of course, it could be talking about love within the church uh, for those who are brothers and sisters uh, in Christ. Uh, it could be talking about that. But I think it is most likely here that this is primarily talking about love for God, which, of course, is the root uh, of the other two. Uh, it's clear from elsewhere in the Bible that it's as we know and meditate on the love that God has for us, that we grow in love for him. And then this love sort of uh, overflows. It cascades over the walls of our lives and into the lives of our fellow Christians and those round about us. It's obviously something that Jesus clearly taught in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 37, where he summarized the whole law as loving God, and then loving your neighbor as yourself. And that also the Apostle John summarized in 1 John 4 and verse 10 to 11, where he said, this is love, uh, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, uh, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. And so it's not really hard uh, to see what might have happened to the church here. The Ephesians were working hard. They really cared about doctrine. Uh, they really cared about uh, making sure that people, people believed what was right. But yet they had lost their first love. And so a kind of lack of warmth or a, a kind of coldness had begun to creep in and affect the church. And uh, where that is the case, uh, Jesus calls us back to the love that we first knew. He lovingly calls us back to the intimacy and warmth of a relationship with God that can then overflow into our relationships both inside and outside of the church. 
I think we can get a little bit more an idea of what a big deal all this is uh, if we think about uh, um, human relationships for a minute. So um, this last week was uh, Valentine's Day. And just imagine on Valentine's Day if I said to my wife, um, I just want you to know that my love for you has grown cold. (laughs) Of course, I will still do all the tasks that are required of me. We can live in the same house. I will keep on earning money. Uh, I will work hard doing the washing up and the groceries and taking the kids to school. I will even buy you flowers. It is just that I don't love you anymore. Do you think my wife would be happy uh, with that state of affairs? No, of course not. She would be absolutely right to be deeply, deeply concerned and to call me back to a genuine love for her. It helps us to understand a little bit more what Jesus is saying here to his church. To do all the right things, but not to be doing them from a position of love towards God is actually a really big deal. And so Jesus commends their good deeds. Jesus commends their hard work. But he also says these things need to be done from love. Love for God is not an optional extra, uh, just as love is not an optional extra in marriage. And so uh, what does Jesus want for his church? Well, the first thing he wants is a love for God. And where a church has grown cold, Jesus pleads with that church to return to him. Um, Jesus' words here actually echo what God says uh, to his Old Testament people uh, in a passage like Jeremiah uh, chapter 2 and verse 2. And just feel the warmth here uh, through which uh, God speaks to his Old Testament people. I remember the devotion of your youth How as a bride you loved me and followed me through the wilderness, through a land not sown. Or what about a passage like Hosea and chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15 where God says, Therefore I am now going to allure her. I will lead her into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her back her vineyards and will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. There she will respond as in the days of her youth, as in the day that she came up out of Egypt. You can almost feel the warmth. You can feel the tenderness as God calls his people back to their earlier loving relationship with him. And it's uh, exactly the same uh, that Jesus is doing that here um, to um, the church. Um, One of the really interesting things, of course, about to move back to the UK when you've lived abroad for a while um, is all the ways that you see how things have actually changed while you have been gone. And one of the less good things that I have noticed is the little signs that seem to have appeared in shops and railway stations and even doctors' uh, surgery, like the one there on the screen. Uh, Warning, we will not tolerate physical or verbal abuse towards our staff. Now, maybe those little signs have always been there, and it's just that I'd never really noticed them before. But I feel like I've seen loads and loads of these signs since coming back to the UK And each time I've seen one of these signs, it's really reminded me of how different Jesus wants his church to actually be. See, Jesus wants his church to be a place of love. And that all starts with uh, our love for God in response, of course, to God's love for us. If our lampstand is to be burning brightly as a church in our culture, then it has to begin with our love for God. However, this then begs the question, of course, how do we do that? How do we rekindle a love for God if we feel like we have lost it? And uh, it's the question that uh, Jesus turns to next 
as we come to look at a plan for action. So some of you will know that when you get a new piece of technology, maybe a new mobile phone, for instance, uh, it often comes with what they call a quick start guide. Well, I like to think of this here as a sort of quick start, start guide from Jesus for loveless Christians. And so I really pray this is helpful for you. Um, I pray it's helpful for you if you're somebody that you feel you need to return to God in a fairly major way this morning. But I also pray that this is really helpful for the rest of us too as we strive to keep our love for God uh, alive and growing and active. So look with me at what Jesus says then in verse 5. So Jesus says, Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. So what does Jesus say here? Well, first of all, Jesus says we need to remember. He says, remember, um, consider how far you have fallen. I guess sometimes in our Christian lives, memories can actually be unhelpful. Uh, we sort of remember back to some sort of uh, um, you know, sin, and uh, we allow guilt maybe to overwhelm us. But at other times, um, memories can actually be really helpful for us. And uh, one of the ways that um, Jesus is saying here that memories can be really helpful for us is to remember a previous time in our Christian lives, maybe, when we were really on the boil spiritually. That's what Jesus seems to be saying here. He seems to be saying, if you're out of love with God at the moment, then remember back to a time in your Christian life when you knew God's love for you in a much more personal and more intimate way. Remember what it was like to be really in love with God when you were so acutely aware of all that Jesus had done for you in the gospel, when you couldn't get enough of praise and worship and um, singing songs to him, when you told people about Jesus just because of the great joy that you had in uh, knowing him. Remember what those times were like and allow those things to kindle in your heart a return to God. Um, I remember once hearing about a couple who were experiencing some difficulties in their marriage. And apparently at one stage, uh, their counsellor asked them, what was it that first attracted you to each other? And I think the counsellor probably had relatively low expectations, uh, maybe a few uh, mumbled platitudes, uh, and then uh, everyone would move on. But what actually happened is that uh, both uh, parts of the couple uh, started talking to each other. And they actually came up with a really, really long list. She talked about how he was so creative and spontaneous. He talked about how she was so hardworking and adventurous and on and on it went. And about halfway through, they all realized that something had just profoundly changed. What had happened was that their memory of what their relationship used to be like had actually called them back to work on their relationship in the present. Number two, uh, Jesus says we need to repent. So repentance is simply a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. A change of mind leading to a change of direction. It's where our minds change about something we are doing or something we are thinking, maybe, and uh, then that leads to a change of direction in our lives. The illustration we often use is the one there on the screen, uh, that of a U-turn. Uh, we stop going one way, 
and then we turn around and start going a different way instead. That's basically what repentance is. And very often, it is so helpful for us to express this to God in prayer. Lord, I am so sorry that my love for you has grown cold. I'm sorry that I've become hard-hearted towards you in spite of all the good things that you have done for me. Please forgive me for doing all the right things, but for doing them from a cold heart. Help me to have a new love and a new zeal for you. You see, the Lord Jesus says that loveless Christians need to repent. Number three, uh, Jesus also says that we need to restart. So Jesus says, repent and do the things that you did at first. And so Jesus is basically saying, you need to go back and do the things that you were doing before. Um, What were those things that you used to do when you were really close to God that you could start doing again? That seems to be what Jesus means here. Um, Did you find that spending time in prayer was helpful? Well, then start doing it again. Uh, Were you part of a prayer triplet or maybe a one-to-one with an older Christian and that really helped you grow? Did regular attendance at church or witnessing joyfully for Jesus or being part of a small group maybe really stimulate your love for God? Well, start doing those things again. Now, of course, uh, these things may well look a little bit different at a uh, new stage of life, perhaps. Or maybe you've uh, a lot less time now and new challenges, and Jesus knows that. But I think the principle for all of us is always the same. Do those things that you know that Christians ought to be doing, and your love for God will begin to grow. I think it's quite interesting that Jesus uh, doesn't mention the emotions here. Um, I don't think that's because Jesus doesn't think that our emotions are important. I think they are. I think it's more that uh, what Jesus is saying here is that we don't need to wait around for the right emotions before we decide to return to God. The emotions may come later on, of course, but Jesus seems to be saying that we can take action right now wherever we are at, even if we don't necessarily feel the emotions to actually return to God and our love for him. Um, Christian commentator John Stott uh, likens this to a child who falls in a puddle. Uh, for some children, when they fall in a puddle, they basically just sit there getting cold and wet and crying, and they just wait for somebody to pull them out. Um, but what Jesus is saying here is that uh, we can actually get up, or we can actually do something about it. And so let me ask you, uh, how is your love for God this morning? Uh, Jesus is saying that if our love for him is cold, then we can actually do something about that. I wonder if you've ever realized that before. We can remember, we can repent, and we can start doing again those things that we know will help us uh, get out of where we are spiritually. We may not always feel like it, but it is the right thing to actually do. And I think we'll often find that our emotions will eventually follow um, later on. And of course, it's not mentioned here, but uh, all of these things are grounded in God's love for us. It's as we meditate on God's great love for us that his love comes in and floods our hearts and then overflows uh, back to God and to those around us. As um, John Stott says, uh, the cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled, but we have to get near enough for its sparks to fall on us. That's a really helpful quote. He's saying, draw near to the cross. Come to the cross, acknowledging your need for mercy and grace. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did for you on the cross. See how much God has loved you. 
Allow the sparks to fall on you. And as that happens, your love for God and others will begin to grow. Then why must we do all this? Why is it important to return to our love for God? Well, we can see that Jesus gives us a warning. At the end of verse 5, Jesus says, If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Now, we might think this is a bit harsh of Jesus, but actually I think what Jesus is really saying here really just uh, underlines the great importance of love in the Christian church. Uh, What Jesus is really saying is that if we've got no love for God, and by extension, no love for others as well, then the church just ceases to be the church. It has lost the one thing which is really meant to be defining it, love. And so Jesus says, I'm not being harsh in coming to remove you. Rather, you now lack lack the one thing that makes you a church, a love for God and a love for other people. I think the removal of a lampstand basically means that the light of the church's witness can be snuffed out. Sure, the building could still be there. Uh, They may still have a pastor. Uh, They can still have lots of ministries, but yet the light of their witness in that community may be no more. And eventually, their doors will close. They've plunged themselves into darkness because of the lack of love. Um, We ought to take the words of uh, commentator Craig Keener to heart. He says, a church where love ceases can no longer function properly as a local expression of Christ's body. This is one of the offenses for which a lampstand can be moved from its place, through which a church can ultimately cease to exist as a church. Some churches die from lack of outreach, lack of planning for the rising generation, or lack of courtesy to visitors. Other churches, like the church at Ephesus, may risk killing themselves off simply by how they treat others. And then lastly, notice that Jesus gives us some, gives us some positive encouragement as well. So uh, verse 7, uh, Jesus says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. So each of these uh, letters to the seven churches, uh, they all end with a promise to those who remain faithful And here Jesus promises that those who repent and return to loving God and keep growing in that love will eat from the tree of life in the paradise of God. This is a uh, reference back to the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. If you remember, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden symbolized the beautiful fellowship that Adam and Eve could have with God forever and ever. However, you probably know the rest of the story that uh, Adam and Eve took things into their own hands. They disobeyed God, and so they were banished from the garden. No more tree of life. But the good news of the Christian story is that God didn't leave them there. He didn't leave the people who he had made banished from his presence forever and ever. But he made a way for them to return to him. He sent Jesus to earth, someone who never did anything wrong, someone who, who was always obedient to him to die on the cross so that we could be restored to a loving relationship with himself. For everyone who repents and believes in him, of course, this means that the way to the tree of life is opened up again. Sinful human beings like us can come to eat the fruit once again and enjoy a relationship with the true and living God. And so here it's really just saying that the reward for loving God more is more love and more of God and more of God's love. 
You see, our motivation for loving God is not actually just what God has done for us in the past, glorious, though that is. It is also what we are promised. Uh, As we grow in love for God, we will know God more and and more. We will experience him more and and more. We will know his uh, love and presence in our lives in uh, more and more meaningful ways. And that's something that starts now and then continues on into the new creation. We will eat of the tree of life. And so what does Jesus want for his church? Well, maybe Jesus does think that comfortable seats and good coffee are important. I'm not sure. But the first thing is love. Because without love, we are not actually a church at all. But if we do have love, if we have a growing love for God that overflows into love for those around us, then that's the key to everything else. And our lamp will burn bright. Maybe you're here with us this morning, though, and you are are someone who isn't yet a Christian. Maybe you came along for the baptisms, which is really great, and uh, we are really, really glad that you are here with us. If that is you this morning, then I just want to say to you that God's love is real. You can experience the love of God in Christ in your life. As I alluded to earlier on, we live in an increasingly uh, unloving and angry world. Many people maybe spend so much time online that they feel that they've got few real relationships. But the love of God is real, and God will never let you down. If you've got doubts this morning about God's love, then why not do this? Why not start coming along here to Eden regularly? Uh, Why not come along every week if you are able? Um, Why not get to know some Christians who you maybe know and see if the love of God makes a difference? in their lives. And then for those of us here this morning who are Christians already, I would like to close with two dangers uh, which I feel led to highlight uh, as we wrap things up this morning. The first is the danger of getting weary, the danger of getting tired. You see, when we're working really hard for God's kingdom, I think there can be a great danger that we forget our first love. It's very easy to get tired It's easy to get exhausted. It's easy to get burnt out. It's easy to stop wondering why nobody else ever helps with any of the ministries that we are involved with. It's easy maybe to begin to get bitter or resentful. And our love for God begins to fade. The other danger is the danger of head knowledge. Maybe that's especially acute uh, in a place like Cambridge. Uh, We may love knowledge about God. Uh, We may love doctrine perhaps. But do we actually love God? Do we love God simply for who he is? In both cases, uh, Jesus would invite us this morning to come to him, to be wooed by him, and to know his love for us once again. The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled, but we have to get near enough for its sparks to fall on us. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to give thanks for your word to each of us this morning. And Lord, for those of us who know you, we want to confess that like these Ephesians, we're often in danger of forgetting our first love and our love for you growing cold. And so we do want to ask, first of all, for your forgiveness this morning. 
Uh, Lord, uh, help us to return to you. Um, help us uh, to go to the cross. Uh, we pray, Father, that you would help us to draw near to you, to see your love again, and for our love for you to be rekindled uh, if we need that. Lord, help our love for you to grow and help our love to overflow into our lives and uh, into the uh, lives of those who we come into contact with. Uh, we pray that uh, you would uh, help us with these things now, and uh, we ask them all in Jesus' name. Amen.